The gates at the Isabella Gardner Museum will stay locked while authorities search for clues in the daring weekend heist. There are some significant paintings missing. As by significant as a couple of Rembrandts and a Vermeer. And the ballpark figure on the cost is about $200 million. Officials say the museum's elaborate surveillance system made no difference. Two men wore police uniforms and fooled the security guards. They were allowed into the building. The two security guards were cuffed and the uh, theft then occurred. What would you do if you had a million dollars? I'll tell you what I'd do, man. You Two know, chicks at the same time, man. Bitch, that's a real nigga shit. You're a real nigga story, you know what I'm saying? This beat is so, so rich. I look great, right? That's all I needed, Justin. That's all I needed. <laughs> all right, um, ready to go? Episode 18, is it? 18. You sure? 18. Yep. Bundy 18. knows. Bundy knows. Uh, today's uh, today's a real uh, a real uh, a real good one. Real good podcast. We get a we get a legend in the building and friend, Mister Miles Connor, and his uh, lifelong partner, Al Dotoli. 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 I've been saying Dotoli, and he says it so fast on the phone. I think it's Dotoli. Al Dotoli. That's how it's pronounced. Um, we got Mister Bundles in the building. A couple other people. Um, Miles Connor, anybody who's ever been in prison in Massachusetts or New England for that matter, you know, should know who this guy is. I know when I, you know, when I went in when I was 17, I, you know, I've known who he was, you know, for a long time. The guy is, is just a legend in his own right. Um, there was a book written about his life, but, uh, more importantly, there's a movie that was just made, uh, the Rock and Roll Outlaw, The Ballad of Miles Connor, which is which is coming out. It's being debuted, uh, debuted March 17th, St. Patty's Day. 2 p.m. at the uh, St. Patty's Day. Um, the and Regents? 2 p.m. at the Regent Theater in Arlington. In Arlington. Yeah, that's uh, it's going to be awesome. Uh, St. Patty's Day is a special day for me. It always has been. Ironically enough, that's my um, that's my sobriety date, 11 years, 11 years sober. And, uh, Two for you. And I uh, haven't been back to prison since, you know, so... That's a that's a good day for me. So I always go to the parade in Salty and go by Pat Nee's house after, and um, I'm gonna you know try to squeeze squeeze everything in that day because I really I really want to see this. You know I've um, Al's uh, been gracious enough to send me some clips of it, and um, it's unbelievable that going back as far as you guys know each other, that you've documented so much of this stuff on video. You know in this day and age, everybody has cell phones and everything is is being filmed and everything's documented, but to have someone like you who've documented this stuff going way back um, is, is really cool in some of those photos. And and one of them, you know, I'll let you guys tell it, but um, Miles was a, was a big rock and roll band out of Boston, you know, way back. And, you know, I couldn't help but, you know, thinking, you know, what could have been, because the guy is just ultra talented, ultra smart, um, just, you know, Renaissance man, this guy is, you know, he's done it all, right? But he, he was um, so talented musically, but he was also talented being, a, you know, an art thief and a bank robber and a 
prison escapee. Um, I mean, you know, you you name it. You know, he's uh, he's been involved in it. And I, you know, I'm gonna pass it over to Al and Miles just to tell a little bit about how he started out and how you guys how you guys met. Um, you know, Milford, Massachusetts. Milton. I mean, Milton. Yeah. Um, you got the Monteranos. Yeah, Jimmy. You got the, the Tollies. You got the Connors. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't know what's in the water over there. But, you know, you got some you got some characters coming out of that town. And, uh, yeah, I'd like to pass it over to you just to, you know, let us know a little bit about yourselves and how you started out and how you met. Well, I guess I should start that off by saying um, when I was joined you, I'm 14-ish in Milton, of course. Um, and uh, I wanted to play the guitar, so I bought myself a little guitar and I started plotting around with it. And I knew about this character that lived in town, Miles Turner. Um, and uh, I actually um, had my brother's fake ID and went to see him perform one night and I was just knocked out completely. Um, and I decided to go to his house one day. So I drove over, I, I got a ride over, I wasn't old enough, um, knocked on the door and for the most part, he graciously had me come in, and from then on, he taught me guitar, and uh, we became close friends. Um, and the, his, his music career just kept going and going and going, and then other things would get in the way, and I guess we should have him tell you a little bit about that. But every time we did something, we always had lots of interest from record companies, from promoters, from club owners. Um, but you know, when you're playing clubs and, and um, his name comes up in like the Black Friars massacre. Oh, well, that that was that was Whitey and his gang saying they had to they had to uh, blame somebody. But he yeah. and I were up in Maine performing that night when they said he had done that. But um, so the the the, uh, the criminal life eventually snuffed out the, uh, the performance. Yeah, I think it's you know pretty interesting. And it just goes to show you, you know, you're good guys, that everything that you've been through, you guys always remained friends, whether he was, you know, off in prison and you were off. You worked with Frank Sinatra. I did. Dion Warwick, you managed your career. You were with the uh, Rolling Stones for a period of time. I spent some time with the Stones. Uh, Ozzy Osbourne, which I found fascinating on your <laughs> resume, from Frank Sinatra to Ozzy, I keep going back to that. That is just so cool. But what an interesting life, you know, you led, you know, in and of itself. But I mean, um, but Miles, uh, you know, we were just out to eat before we were talking about, and he got uh, he got shot once. He uh, shot by the police also didn't he you know, he shot at and he shot a cop uh, but I didn't know they were robbing a bank and he, the guy he was with we brought up his name and I you know I actually knew him I don't know if we could say his name or whatever but you know Kenny Whiteman Kenny Whiteman uh, who escaped from Walpole what a legend Kenny Whiteman um, but yeah you're telling that story just so many stories and you know we're out to eat and I'm just like I said, your your story is unbelievable, but you know Miles and and seeing that they in, you know interwined with each other, there was just so much. But uh, yeah, I'd like to you know let Miles tell a little bit of it how he's how he started with the rock and roll and how he how he um, became the the biggest and the most well known art thief you know in the world. I mean, this guy stole a Rembrandt. I mean, just I mean, just just amazing, amazing stuff. So I, I could go on all day, but. You know, let Miles talk a little bit of, you know, well, as much as he wants, actually. Miles, you can just take this over if you want. But, yeah, just tell us a little bit how it started out and how you get into life of crime and, and you know, 
Anything else? Well, to quote Bob Dylan, peace and love. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I started out in rock and roll. Uh, and Al Dottley was my, acted as my man, manager at that time. Even from a young age, like when we were in our teens, he was always doing promotions with local uh, Anna Ginsburg and mm -hmm. uh, getting us gigs at town halls and things like that. <clears throat> and then later on, uh, we developed into local clubs and then bigger concerts and bigger places to like. We played at Baggy Knees, which is in Stovermont, and the uh, Rolling Stones had played up there, and that's where we were playing. And uh, then uh, I unfortunately uh, had two vocations. One, of course, is rock and roll. And the other was uh, robbing museums and robbing banks and things of that nature. And, Every time I'd almost get to the point of where Al would have me uh, almost at the record deal or the big concert deals, I'd get into trouble. And it'd be because of all of the behaviors that I was involved in. Yeah. Um, so, you, you know, you're so close. You're almost at the pinnacle, right? Al's got you right. Al, you must have wanted to kill him a few times, right? I mean, I'm I still do. Yeah. Um, he was very consistent on fucking things. Oh, excuse me. He was very consistent uh, on screwing things up. I mean, we had a lot of a lot of people in the industry that was that, that knew his talent. Um, and I would bring people to see him who had no idea about what else he was up to. Yeah. And they looked and I knew what they were thinking. Oh, we're the first ones. This, this guy's unbelievable. And then we would go ahead. I even had um, uh, three, three members of Shana backing up many times. They, they lived around here. They were friends of mine. But we were in the studio and they, produ they were producing an album that I had pre-sold once we finished it. It was pre-sold, it was gonna be the album. We finished one song completely. Strangely enough, it was called I Was The One, um, but the album which was gonna be finished. Um, and uh, that was that was probably the, 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 the biggest time that he screwed things up, but there were many, many, many more. Um, uh, I wish instance when he was selling stolen uh, uh, artifacts that he had stolen from the Woolworth estate. Um, oh yeah, the Woolworth. Yeah, the Woolworth estate. Yeah, and and uh, he was he was selling them in a parking lot in Mashpee, and we were playing in a nightclub across the street from there. I, I set him up on a radio station that evening, and he to to promote the show, and he did that. And um, on, his, on his way back from the radio station. He dropped the stuff off, not realizing that there was a snitch involved, and he arrested him right there. Ain't that always the way? Right there in the radio station parking lot? No, right, no, from the radio station, he went to the parking lot across from the nightclub. I'm at the nightclub seeing that he's a little bit late. I see all these um, police and, and firemen, and I said to the club owner, we better stop without him. That's him. What were the artifacts, the Wyatt? Were they paintings or what? From the Wyatt yeah. estate. Yeah. 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 What was the state? What was the state? Wyatt paintings. paintings yeah. Well, uh, if you don't mind me asking him so long ago, what were you, what were you selling them for? Uh, it, was my, it was my partner, uh, Bobby Donati, who had actually set up the uh, contacts. And uh, 
it was for the sale of the pennies. And most of the time, most of the pennies that I stole were not for resale, they were for bargaining chips to get myself or somebody else out of a jackpot with the police or the FBI. But this time, the deal was Bobby's deal. And so he had set up the uh, appointment with the guy, and the guy was a fed informant, yeah. and that's how the FBI got involved. And uh, actually, that's how I was the guy that went down there to meet him, and then I get grabbed. You know, um, it's genius, and, and speaking of genius, I, I read somewhere that you were a member of Mensa, is that true? Yes. Wow, so if people know Mensa, is, I mean, you're a legitimate genius, you know? Bundy's also. Bundy. I rocked their Bundy's up. You're a Mensa member? He thinks he is. But um, <laughs> so I didn't really know that as much. I knew you were into, I read some other stuff. You were into samurai swords, a big collector, maybe the biggest in the world, the biggest uh, or the most, you know. At one time, I had a collection that was as big as the collection at the MFA or the Met. But you're you're well versed, so well versed. Maybe know more about samurai swords than anyone probably. Ah, uh, far above what the average person would know. In fact, I would say, at one point, I was amongst the top ten most knowledgeable people on the subject. And you even traveled to Japan before, yeah. in Japan. That's amazing. Um, getting back to the bargaining chip, like I said, I didn't know that, but that is so smart. You know, like. You know, you're in a GM, right? You say, hey, you know, you guys have been looking for this. I can get it to you. And and, and uh, touching on that subject, you actually used a Rembrandt painting you stole once to get out of some I type did. of GM you were in. Yes. And uh, Mr. Dottoli was the man who, uh, he who returned was, it, maybe? I would like to say. Allegedly. Well, I would just say it was returned, <laughs> it was returned by a tall master. <laughs> and I'm 6'4". So you didn't take it from there. So... This where was the Rembrandt stolen from? The MFA in Boston, Museum of Fine Arts. Wow, the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston. Huh? You don't mess around, Mister Connor. So you get this now. You now I I read like when the Isabella Museum Gardner uh, Stuart Gardner Museum was robbed. We'll we'll get back to that after. I always read like when a painting like this is stolen, and you'll hear, oh, they cut it out of the frame. You know, it's ruined, and then. I think that, you know, I, I always thought that was true. And then I hear, no, that's bullshit. They're not ruined. But when you steal a piece of art, like a Rembrandt painting, you know, walk us through it. How do you, uh, I go in, we rip it off the wall. The alarm goes off. Me and Bundy get caught running out the back door five minutes later. How, how would how would a, a true, you know, like a professional like yourself, you, you're going in, you're getting this painting. How do you do it? You cut it right out? Well, there's different ways to rob museums. Uh, but in, in regards to the MFA, uh, it was on what they call the Dutch Room, which contained an, uh, a number of uh, Dutch masterpieces. Uh, to the right, as you went up the stairs in the rear of the MFA. And so I knew the painting was alarms, but I also knew it could be taken off the wall. And so I... Uh, I just unhooked it, and then I had people waiting out. I had a person right beside me to act as a blockage in case anybody got out of the way. And then I had other people down at the bottom of the stairs uh, to dissuade anybody from uh, chasing me down there like the guards. 
and they were armed. And so uh, I made down the stairways uh, to the uh, uh, waiting van, and there was everybody. They came, made down to the rear doorway, and they all started to come out out of the museum. And I had a friend down there with a machine gun, and he let go with the machine gun, aimed at the stairs, and it was like a vacuum cleaner. They all just disappeared on the bank, except for one Polish retired Boston cop. And he was a guy that was bound and determined nobody's gonna steal a painting on my watch. And so he chased after the, the painting wow. and chased back uh, I jumped into the back of the van with the painting. He latched right onto the painting. And so I had a friend in the back of the van with the machine gun. And I said, don't don't shoot the guy. Yeah. And so he clocked the guy on the top, top of the head with the gun. And lo and behold, the uh, retired Polish boss police officer relinquished the grip on the painting. <laughs> and off we went. <laughs> you know, um... Not off subject, but it always amazes me. Like you just think, you know, some guy who dies, you know, in a Seven Eleven, like trying to stop a robbery, or in this case, no matter what it is, whether it's a bank, some guy who's getting paid an armored car driver who's getting paid, you know, twenty two yeah. bucks an hour. You, you can't underestimate these guys. Some of these guys will, like you said, this guy was, you know, it isn't his painting, right? It's insured, and yeah. and, and this guy very likely could have died. Like you said, you let off a few rounds of machine gun, yeah. and it didn't deter him one bit. It's always it always blows my mind someone like that. I just be like, hey, go ahead, pal. You know what I mean? Unless it's something you no, know, near and dear to my heart, I'm not going to die over it. You know, different people react differently, and yeah, in the minds of some people, they're just uh, uh, you know, good old tough cops. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <They're> retired, <laughs> yeah. and that's his situation. Sure. So, so now you you have this Rembrandt. But how about the guys you do the score with? Don't they want to? Did you get some other things where you sold and, and uh, no, took care I, of them? No, I was you very them? successful as a bank robber, and I made a lot of money. I think the smallest bank I ever took down was one hundred seventy-five thousand dollars, and this was in the nineteen seventies. Wow! And I had taken a number of banks down, and so I had a I had a large cache of cash. Yeah. And the people who were involved with me, I just paid cash. Oh, all right. To give me that's the first thing I thought of. All right, well, if he's going to keep this Rembrandt and use it as a, a rocket and ship, well, how's you know you paying these guys that all got you back there? So, all right, yeah, that makes sense. Um, hundred and seventy-five grand. I've I've knocked off a few banks myself. You have, yes, but it was more of the um, <laughs> drug addicted, pass the note guy. So when you said one hundred seventy-five thousand, you know, I think my biggest one was about. Fourteen thousand five hundred. So we're and that was in two thousand. The last one. And no, that, 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 that my 90s. case of crystal. No, I was the guy like no die packs, no die zie. Me myself wasn't a member of, of Mensa, but, <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, so. You, you get this Rembrandt now, and you just put this thing on ice, and and you're, you're thinking of the future already. I'm going to yeah. be in a jam someday. There's no doubt about it, right? That I'm going to be in another pickle. <laughs> no, I Jack got Clark. that specifically to get me out of the uh, 
uh, one in Mammoth, Maine, the Woolworth Estate, oh, because right. the FBI w- was very happy that they'd finally landed me. And his quote was, let's see you get out of this, Collins. It'll take you a Rembrandt to get out of this. <laughs> I thought, you're right. No <laughs> fucking way. <laughs> That's what gave me the So were you, the, so the Woolworth Estate, that, where was that? Monmouth, Maine. So that was in Maine. So were you in were you in uh, federal court over that, or was that in in um, no, the state it, of Maine? That was I was the charge for that was I was arrested in uh, Mass for the, that offense. All right. And uh, then, as part of the deal to return the Rumburn to the MFA, that charge was dismissed. Wow. So who, if you don't mind me asking, well, it was a long ago, who works out this deal where your, your lawyer, you say, hey, listen, I can get you that Rembrandt. You, you know, make sure they don't, you know, uh, snooky you, right? Where you give it back and they say, hey, screw you. And they still bury you in Maine. Like, how do you, how do you negotiate that? So everything's on the up and up. Well, I can negotiate that through an attorney. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. So you got the Rembrandt, and that was and that was that, and you returned that. That was that, and I get a little cash returning. Really, it was, yeah. a, it was a little reward, also, huh? Indeed, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you did the guy who returned it get a cut? Did he get a piece, a small piece? I, I he's going back to work. I, 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 I think I was one of these. Uh, Moves where I didn't tell anybody, but <laughs> I, I got the reward back through, through a state police major that was a, oh, a really? friend of mine, and he made the arrangement. I was well, quite happy to see that return, and it was done on my terms. Um, we we met at the, where did they bring They brought him to Charles Street Jail. Oh, the so old we, Street. Jesus. So we should have conversations. It was it was already in motion that it was going to go back. Yeah. Um, but because we weren't so close for all those years, um, everybody felt that I would have this thing. And from the beginning, first of all, I said, you asshole, you're still yeah, a lot of heat on All right, so I didn't want anything to do with it. It was somewhere else. So I had to figure out how I was going to get it from the, from the, uh, uh, from someone else. Um, and, you know, I have a family as well and, and um, kids and, you know, people yeah, were popping yeah. in and out of the bushes yeah. and I had mafia people come up and hope I know them I'm a bit. And they say, hey, you know, just tell Miles if they think of us and opens up the briefcase and it's jammed with money. I mean, that stuff, they thought it was probably, hey, I'm going myself, this is, this is has to stop. You know, I mean, yeah. somebody, yeah. and then you have the insurance people, they're all after me. So, because he's in jail and they're looking for the damn painting. So, to me, my reward was getting nothing. Yeah, out. get it off your chest. I did it on a Saturday night. So in those days, the sun, Sunday Globe was the thing to tell people. What the, was it? The Sunday Globe. Oh, yeah. So I visualized on the front page of the Sunday Globe and made the transfer a Saturday night just after dark. Um, Real cloak and dagger stuff, huh? Well, there was only we don't have time to remember just how it was done, but it was definitely talking to you. Serious shit, I'll tell you that. Yeah, yeah. And, and also you're worrying, right, um, that, you know, so much going on between, like you said, mafia things, insurance companies, cops, him, you're worried about getting pinched. And then you also got to worry about, you know, they'd love to grab you with it before you actually returned it and get him out of the gym. So now you got the thing waiting. I mean, that's what I'd be worried about, that I'm yep. going to get pinched with the thing in my car or the van sure. or what have you on the way to deliver it, and everybody gets screwed except them. Yeah, know? well, I mean, I, I worked out in a way where once it was in my hands, um, <clears throat> and once I 
I read what I needed to read that was on the back. Uh, uh, I was supplied with a with a snapshot of what should be on the back of it, um, face down. I was I was once asked, did I ever stand and like uh, looked at the Rembrandt while I was returning yeah, it? Yeah. I said, Are you shitting me? All I want to do is get rid of that thing as quickly as I could. So I never I never looked at the front. The 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 um the identifying marks were on the back. You know, old marks that came from stamps with oh, yeah. you know with uh, uh, the way they they just stamped something and um he supplied me through somebody a picture of exactly what should be there through all the years there's all these little things on the back so i was 100 percent sure that that was the case yeah um and then we went on from that what was um the first time you ever thought of robbing a museum or, or why what what well, obviously for money probably but what was your what what got you into that? You were just well versed well, in, in art and um, in artifacts. No, the first museum I ever robbed was as an act of revenge. My father, who was a very honest middle police officer, wow, uh, and a gun collector, and uh, at at, uh, at one evening he came home and he was very much upset. And he uh, told my mom and myself, he said, I can't believe those people at the uh, Garden Museum. They thought that I robbed the museum of the- Forbes Museum. Yeah, Forbes, Forbes Museum. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Museum. Just, uh, yeah, we yeah, have nothing to do with the Garden uh, Museum. Uh, we got to uh, <laughs> throw that in there, all right? Forbes uh, <laughs> Museum, and they, they'd gone to the chief of police, who was a friend of my dad's. They said, we understand you have a sergeant that works for you, and uh, we understand he collects firearms, and we uh, would like a, to, an investigation to see if he was involved. So the chief told my dad, and he thought it was kind of comical because he knew my father, but my father didn't think it was comical. And my father uh, related to me, can you believe those Yankee stuck up SOBs? They think that I stole it. They, they are uh, uh, gun, guns, antique firearms. And so at that stage, he was so upset about it. Be smirching his name. I, yeah. I felt it was time for payback. And, let those people know what a real thief did. So, <laughs> so I went back there, and uh, there was a uh, night watchman, a kid who was a watchman. But I used to go out, leave the museum, and visit his girlfriend, which I believe lived, lived in Broughton, I believe. So he did a little and homework. She, yeah, he and she, homework, uh, he'd leave that. the museum under, unattended, so. It was the old-fashioned beanie in the back window that was alarmed. And I took the anti-guns and a few other things, and I put them in the back of my car, and off I went. Oh. That was my first oh, one. Oh, that was your first one. Interesting. It was a revenge thing. It wasn't even a... Yeah. Did your father know that you ever did no. that on his behalf? No, he never did. Never <laughs> let him know. I think it maybe later in the years you'd say, hey, Dad, remember when that happened, you know? Maybe so, I did a little time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow, very interesting. So um, moving forward, you you interwined your rock and roll career with, with Robin Banks. and uh, <clears throat> Yeah, the reason was, primarily I was... When I got out of Walpole for the first time, well, you, you know, Al had set me up as being the president of rock and roll. And I had, uh, by the way, when I got out, I was accepted at Harvard. And uh, 
So my SATs goes off the maps. And uh, so I had uh, made the requirements to get into Harvard. And they said, you have to realize if you come into Harvard, you have to give up any other thing you have going in your life because you'll be competing with some of the finest, smartest kids in the, in this country and out of this country. Yeah, not, yeah. So Al said, hey, listen, there's only one time you can be a rock and roll star, and that's when you're uh, this age. Later on, you can go back to rock and roll. And that's why I stayed with rock and roll and did not pursue uh, the academic route. And while I was uh, starting off in uh, rock and roll, I was playing at a club that was well-known and well-packed called the Beach Club. I was gonna say the Beach Club, I just did and that for some reason. all yeah. these guys who would get out of Walpole would come down and see me playing and sing oh, cool. well, of course. I'd give them a few bucks this time and that time. Then, uh, you know, it changed from uh, that to, hey, listen, uh, you're the only guy that I know that I can trust, and I've got the methadone clinic in Brighton, and I can take that down. He did take it down for eight, about 80000 bucks worth of methadones. That's in the 70s. It was the it's, pills then, right? The pills. The big wafers, the 40-meter yeah. wafers, yeah. And yeah. so <laughs> then uh, you've got other pals who are involved in bank robberies and stuff like that. And so uh, it's hard to stay at a club making uh, maybe three or four hundred bucks a night as opposed to robbing a bank and making night, like I said, I think the smallest bank ever robbed was 175000 and that was around, we went through the roof of the place. And uh, uh, the, wow. they had a perimeter alarm, but they had no motion detectors. So we climbed up on the roof, it was Ralph, his brother Sal, and myself. And uh, we uh, had a sledgehammer and a, a big bar. Peeled and uh, we went through the roof and dropped down in, into the bank. And there we went into the bank, in the bank until the teller came in. No way! I was oh, yeah. say, I thought you got in the vault uh, or something uh, overnight. No, so we wow. had the teller had a timer on the bank. Had a vault had a timer, so uh, the, she comes in, and we pop out surprise. <laughs> so we now, now, meanwhile she had to wait about five minutes. For, for the vault to unlock. In the meantime, there are patients coming right yeah. up to the door. Yeah. So uh, we said, go up to the door and let them, not patients, but yeah, yeah, yeah. the customers, yeah. let them in. So we let them in, sat them all down. <laughs> and then when it was time for the vault to open, uh, we uh, got the money and we cleaned up the vault and off we went. Unbelievable. Unbelievable stuff. Um, what you when you said when you first got out of Walpole when you were going to go to Harvard? What year was that when you yeah, it was first? Nineteen seventy-two. Wow, seventy-two. Yeah. Um, and what was your first bid for? If you don't mind me asking, Walpole. I had been involved in the shootout with the police. I had shot one cop, shot at a second one, and I had been shot to hell myself. Whoa. And so it was a saw with intent to kill charge but because there was an element of self-defense there the judge who was a hangman judge judge used gene hudson 
recognized there was an element of self-defense because I did not start the shootout. They did. And uh, he said, Mr. Connors, I'm going to sentence you to 12 to 20, but you'll be eligible for at least in six years. And the police were furious. Yeah. And so that was part of the reason for the uh, intense dislike on the part of the Boston police. That's what started it all, huh? They, all, yep. they hated you ever since then. I mean, I, I couldn't see in this day and age, <clears throat> no matter if the cop shot first or what, you know, a suspect getting a, a self-defense case, you know, I mean. No, so March 17th on St. Patty's Day at the Regent Theater, you know, I, I really want to go to see this. I mean, Al sent me some some clips of it. It looks it looks official. It looks yeah. really good. You know, yeah. Um, a lot of a lot of cool pictures of you on stage, and you know, just looking like the real outlaw. Almost like a young Van Morrison. You get the red hair. You get the leather jacket. I can see that. It, yeah. it, it's really cool. You know, it's you know, just some really cool stuff. You know, like when we were just out to eat, all of us. There was a bunch of us out to eat, and we were talking, and I was saying how when I first went into jail and prison, I was seventeen years old. And before that, I was in DYS and stuff. But when I when I started going into adult jail and prison, there was always, you know, these older guys, these, you know, stand-up guys, solid guys, all this guy, whether he's, you know, he's a mafia guy or this guy, you know, an armored car guy or this guy's a safe cracker. Or, it's like, and I tell people now, you go into jail, there's no more of that. There's no more real, real characters. Guys that were just criminals, not because they were addicted to drugs or, or you know, more, that's pretty much all you see in there now, unless it's a, you know, Skinner or just someone who killed somebody. <clears throat> but you don't really have any more guys that are just, you know, thieves. Yeah. You know, whether you're, you're a stick-up guy or an arm robber or a safe crack or any of these, you just... Um, you know, Bundy was Bundy was a thief in his own right. They used to yeah. do some scores, but even even him, um, you don't see guys anymore that are that are just criminals. Mm-hmm. You know, we grew up in a culture where there were guys that were just you knew. You know, I mean, my father was always a bartender. I was down the bar since I was a little kid, and you'd, you'd see a guy, oh, he just got out of Walpole, this and that. And you know, maybe I was guilty of looking up to these guys. You know, and I I ended up uh, I ended up in the same place. But you know, when you hear your story and and I, you know, I can't wait. I can't wait to see the movie. It's, I mean, it's, you know, it's got Hollywood written all over it. I mean, this story. I don't know how it isn't <clears throat> isn't a movie because it's just. I mean, it's just so unique. You know, your life, your life story is so unique, and it's second to none. I don't think there are any other guy. I mean, I could, you know, pretty much bet my life, right? There are no other guys that are a rock and roll star and a bank robber and an art thief. I mean. I mean, it's just, it's, you know, it's unbelievable unless, you know, the people in the know that grew up with you, that know you, and I mean, luckily everything's documented. You Google your name and, and see all this. So you can see the book or the movie that's going to be coming out, more importantly. Um, and it's just, it's just really cool stuff. You know, for me personally, I find it interesting. Um, like I recently been uh, beating a dead horse about a guy who claimed to be something he isn't. I don't even. I really don't even want to say his name anymore because it, it's getting played out. And hopefully, you know, he's been getting his comeuppance. But I, like I, I said, it's like stolen valor. Like when someone comes in and tries to claim they're this or that, like, and they they never they never put in the work to do it. But when I was touching on that, I basically said it's like this guy read every Boston law book he could and just made up this story and he, he actually sold it to a pretty big publishing company. But my point on that is, you know, 
we all know the same people. I know who you were and you're from prison and, and everybody, if we didn't know each other personally, we have a friend that knows this one or that one. And Boston and Massachusetts, the Northeast, it's so small. Everybody, everybody knows somebody, right? And, you know, I've read all these books that come in and I remember reading cases of yours in the law library in Walpole, you know what I mean? Because you were that guy. You know, you were that guy uh, running around the track and uh, just, you know, I, I didn't know a lot of this stuff that you, you know, got, got into jujitsu or you're in Japan or the samurai sword stuff. And, you know, you just think, oh, yeah, Miles Connor, the art thief, right, or the bank robber. And then, you know, you sit down and you're talking with you or you're talking with Al or, you know, Anthony or Jimmy or whoever. And it's like another another layer of the onion gets peeled back. Like, wow, really? You know, you did this too and you did that. And you did this. And and mentor and what? His father was a cop. Like, just it's just it's just an, an amazing, you know, just what a journey, man! You, see, you know, it's and not going wood, it's still here. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's a surprising part. Yeah, that is a surprising part. I, you got shot by the police six times, and you got shot by your own mm -hmm. co-defendant Kenny Whiteman yeah, one time, yeah, huh? Yeah. As, uh, tell the story about that when you were running to the bank with Kenny. He was telling Kenny me earlier. Uh, it was bank up in Vermont, and uh, I had given Kenny. I think it was a fair remember because it was a semi-automatic 45 Colt. And uh, we went into the bank. Uh, we were, the uh, bank had begged up the money uh, to be picked up by the Elmwood car. So it was already out. So we went in there, we grabbed the, uh, the money bags and we were on the way out. And on the way out, Kenny slips and his fingers go off with the gun and hits me right in the calf, hits the bone. And so uh, I go, ouch. And of course, the people <laughs> in the bank hear the gun go off. So now I hobble up. I said there was a side field, uh, our bank, and then the cars were up there. And so Billy Eagle helped me uh, up with the uh, hobble up the uh, embankment. And I got into the car. And then because we knew that they would report the gunfire going off the car and the guy getting shot, I was fearful that the police might set up a roadblock and with the, any uh, car with the mass plate uh, and just yeah. maybe pull it over so I didn't feel really safe even being on the trunk. So for two days, I stayed up there in Vermont in a barn in a in a with hay, and I stayed up there for two days, and uh, didn't bleed out. That then I you're right, but uh, no veins were hit, but the bone was hit. So then I made it down to a friend of mine who was a chiropractor in Weymouth, and they have an X-ray machine, <clears throat> so he could take the X-ray of where the bullet was in my leg. Then I had another friend whose wife was a nurse, that would be Lenny, and I went to her house, and uh, she had a friend who was an operating room nurse, and so they're in, uh, they could take a picture via the uh, uh, x-ray, and see where it was, and they went in there with big tweezers and pulled out the, out the bullet. Now, now I had to have a drainage and antibiotics, so I went to uh, the hospital and uh, 
not the county hospital, but the... Brockton? No, no, no. What's uh, Canton? Canton Hospital. I went into the Canton Hospital. And so I told them, I said, I was in the Blue Hills and uh, some SOB took away uh, a crossbow and shot me in the leg and I was so pissed off, I just yanked the crossbow and threw it away. That's pretty believable. And so, uh, <laughs> now because you have this wound, they they had to uh, notify the cops. And so car comes to me, he says, yo, Miles gone? I said, yeah. He said, bow an hour in the leg? I said, yeah. He says, I don't more believe that story than I believe in Santa Claus, but I don't have a bullet, so I can't do anything to you. And so that was the end of that story. Wow. So that, that was, uh, was that before getting shot by the cops or after? After. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was after. Yeah. Right after. Any, uh, any uh, I mean, kind of a stupid question, right? But any lingering damage from the gunshots that still, uh, Not really. still bother you today? Not really. Not really. No, I mean, he was in his twenties when the police shot him the first time up yeah. in, in Boston. Yeah. yeah. Did you dig up any of those old news clippings or oh, anything? Oh yeah, that's funny oh, that. Man. Really? It shows him in the film, by the way. Yeah. Um, there was, there was. By the time, by the time the police were able to get up there, they were scared to death of what the hell was he, he was doing. Yeah. Um, uh, the uh, the press had had all converged down below. It was like dog day afternoon. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so as he came down, I I have plenty of it. A front page, I, it was the Herald. Um, it showed the fireman holding him in that journey, all strapped in, blood everywhere, um, and him out, out told um, with a trout around him. Um, wow. Yeah, yeah. And he's told me more than once, and I also had somebody that was there that day that confirmed it. So when they shot him up top after the gun battle, um, they were going to throw him off. They wanted to throw him off the building. Um, well, and you uh, threw the guy out. No, I'm just joking. So the first, people, <laughs> the first people to come up on the ladder and not through the stairs, that was the police, was the um, fireman. Fireman. If he wasn't Chief. there, you probably would have got. You know, He's the guy that saved my yeah, life. Yeah, they probably and, chopped you off the roof. And he heard them saying, All right, let's throw this son of a bitch off. The fireman says, No, you're not going to do that. They basically said to the fireman, I don't give a shit what you said. He said, Wait a minute. I'm a lieutenant or whatever. I don't know about yeah, rank. He's a captain. He captain. So he was the highest ranking person on the roof. Wow. And he said, You throw him off, and basically I'll. Report you. I'm the highest ranking guy. Do not throw him off. So it's a fireman that saved his life. Wow. They should get credit for that. They brought in a big plague light. I was on the fifth floor roof. They big burned a plague light, shining it down on me. I shut off the light. They sent in a German Shepherd dog. Wow. I shot at the floor of the dog, so I was hit by the gravel. And uh, then when I saw the light, there was just crimson of blood everywhere. And yeah, so then I knew that I was shot at that time, I was shot like four times. But the one that put me down was the one that hit my kidney. And that one hit my kidney, took out the spleen, took out some feet of intestines. And uh, then I was down and I remember a cop coming up to me and saying, where you hit my house? And I said, see my attorney. And he said, yeah, I'll show you a journey. A cop took his finger and put it right in my bullet hole. Oh. And then Robeson, the cop that I'd beaten up, he was up there. 
He said, I'll show you how to make him talk. And he bit, picked me right up on my testicles. Oh. Bang, and bang. And uh, uh, then they said, yes, let's say he tried one of those karate kicks and fell off the roof. Yeah. So I figured they're trying to get me yeah. to say, no, to die. But no, they weren't asking me anything. They were just hauling me towards the roof. And so down below, there was like ABC, NBC, CBS, all uh, yeah, yeah, pointing towards me. And they got me to the edge of the roof. And I came, but they thought I was dead and unresponsive. Yeah. And I came back to life. I said, they're throwing me off the roof. I'm not following. They're throwing me off the roof. They held me. And their words were... Pull him back here and kill him up here. We'll be bothered by the press for the next two weeks. And so it was boot kick, boot kick, boot kick. And that's when the fireman came up. And the, he's the guy that saved my life. God bless him. Oh, How yeah. long were you in the hospital after that? I was in the hospital. I was in the Mass General Hospital for about a month. And from there, they'd give me a colostomy. Uh, and they had said, don't get a spinal when they close the colostomy because it won't work, because your spine has been hit right where they put the spinal. So they brought me to Norfolk, and that's the first time that uh, Jimmy was up there and he met me. And so they did a closure of the closet, but that's not where it ends. Uh, they did give me a spinal, because give, a nurse can give a spinal. If it's general anesthetic, they have to hire an anesthesiologist. Mm -hmm. And that costs, like back then, an extra 200 bucks. And they didn't want to go, go that way. So they gave me the spinal. And to relax the muscles, they give you a thing called D-turbocurine or intercostal, which is curare. And they give you that injection uh, because it relaxes all the muscles in the body except for the heart, and it stops the lungs from going. And you can't move, you can't breathe. They've got a respirator breathing for you. And so they never told me this. I couldn't move my eyes. I, I couldn't take a breath. I've had uh, something like that. Oh, Jesus <laughs> Christ. And then uh, the spinal didn't take effect. So I feel the entire operation. And so I can't just, say I, nothing. I can't say yeah, nothing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so uh, uh, I uh, I came uh, at the end of it. I said, Look, I feel what you don't knock me out. I feel what you do, motherfuckers. You, you know, and I get uh, progressively more angry. So I went into the hospital. Now what happened was they closed the colostomy. Two days later, they feed me. And I said, I... Should I have a, you know, a intravenous or a liquid diet? No, you can eat anything. So how ignorant they were, they fed me. I leaked fecal material into my abdomen, got peritonitis, which, as you probably know, is one of the most lethal uh, infections you can get. So they would not send me to an outside hospital. And this is where uh, Jimmy saw me. Losing pound after pound after pound after pound. And I said, something's wrong with me. My abdomen was like a balloon. And so, uh, oh, then they give me a, a blood transfusion from the inmates 
laced with hepatitis. Oh, the worst kind. So it turned orange. And, Jesus. Uh, but then, ultimately, they refused. Uh, we, My dad, whose brother was head of the VA, tried everything to get me sent out. They hospital. would not send me out. Uh, no, no. We, not we, even Shattuck? No, 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 not even Shattuck. I don't think they had a hookup with Shattuck back then. But what finally got me moved, uh, that's when I weighed, I, uh, you know, I was just skin and bones. And uh, uh, my father's brothers finally pulled out enough strings to get me sent to Boston City Hospital. Boston City, yeah. And when they pushed me in, in the gurney, a nurse picked me up, stepped on a scale. You know that light? 60, 65 pounds. No far away. 65 no. pounds, yeah. And then gradually, uh, they had to fight the infection from the peritonitis. They wanted and you to die in Norfolk. Uh, they oh, wanted to let you die in Norfolk. Yeah. Excuse me for yeah. interrupting. Uh, but uh, Al used to uh, come and visit me, and uh, he retails his memories of uh. seeing me with the, all these uh, tubes and uh, to come here and there. Well, he was there several days from when they took him from, I believe it was not when he was so sick. They brought him to Boston City, and that allowed his mother to go, and she didn't drive or anything. So I would take her every day. But in those days, and probably nowadays, especially with him, they had a, 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 a not uniform, but a police officer outside his room. Nobody went in except the doctors. Yeah. They would let his mother go in. So I don't know if I did two, three, five days, but you know, I'd be standing there with this top, so you know, he knew who I was. And this was around the time when he mentioned the 65 pounds. The detective said to me one day, he says, I shouldn't do this. He said, but go ahead in. It's probably the last time you'll see him. Um, and I went in and he had things coming out of everywhere. And he conscious? Barely. But he was like, like this. Yeah. And he asked for, uh, they gave him something to write on. I don't know what he was going to do. He shouldn't talk. And he just wrote a high pal. Um, and that was the day they had picked him up, and so he weighed 65 pounds, <clears throat> and the uh, police officer outside his door, you know, and then they, he must have had a little bit of something in him. He, he just said, hey, this kid's nice enough to bring the mother up, and he's a good friend, and this yeah. kid's gonna die, so go ahead in and see him. There's always so, a few good ones. Yeah, so Major just, John Reagan. Really, yeah. the best. Yeah. Nice yeah, guy. Irishman. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, that was the 65-pound uh, story. That's the last time you weighed 65 pounds. I'm sure there's been a few times where you thought uh, he wasn't going to pull through, right? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the lifestyle he was, he was living, um, I, the, the waking up in the morning and finding out that something had happened, um, it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. yeah. And every time a bank got robbed or something, I would just call him up and I said, you asshole. You know, we've got a play somewhere tonight. You did that, didn't you? I mean, Milton Banked. I know we did it. Yeah. Um, and he was just snitching. <laughs> <laughs> and um, he, didn't you rob a bank before a show one night or something? Did you get caught or something? Something happened? I no, I think I hid in the basement of the beachcomber. I hid a bag of money, and it was over $100,000, so it was in the bag. And so it was in the back room of the beachcomber. I forget who was the... Janitor went in there and found it. It was, um, I, I, uh, I can't think of his name, but um, we had, he had robbed the bank either the day before or two days before, and, and he carries things around brown paper bag, never anything else. Yeah. So he came to work. He hadn't robbed it that day, but he had robbed it right around then. And we used 
the office of the beach home for a dressing room, and he had the money there, and he played that night. And he left the bag there because he knew it would be locked and wherever he was going at night. <laughs> and uh, the poor kid that always seen, I guess you told him the janitor, but he was part of the furniture there. I can't think of his name. Um, he went down to clean up Mr. McGetrick's office, and he's doing this bag like he's going to throw it away, and he went, holy shit. <laughs> um, so yeah, he had robbed the bank and then, and then came and played a gig within 48 hours or so. Yeah. Legend. Yeah, yeah. So um, I know Justin's gonna be out of here at 3.30. We got about 10, 15 minutes left, 10 minutes left. So, um, you know, getting back, I just wanna, you know, you know, talk about, you know, this movie. I mean, this is this is a big deal, you know what I mean? It is, it's just so, like I said, I, I know, I keep saying the same thing, but it's just so intriguing. And it's just stuff I, you know, I found interesting. Like I said, I, every time I'm away, I'm a big true crime book guy anyway. Uh, I never read much till I ended up in prison that I read everything, you know, sure. I just, that's what I did. I read a ton of books in prison, not just true crime, I read everything, you know, and, uh, you know, it's, it's a form of escape in there, you know, when you get into a good book. It's almost like sometimes you can't wait to get back to your cell, you know, to finish the book. You know, when you when you have a good book, um, it's another thing that's, um, you know, I had, a, I had a friend recently, a kid, a uh, Charlestown kid, Chris Kahn is a real good kid. And he said something to me one day. He said, you know what you don't hear anymore about someone? Like when you're talking about someone, you don't, you'll, you don't, he said, you'll never hear it again. I said, what? Oh, he's well read. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, you yeah, know, it's true, right? Yeah. This day and age, like everyone's on their phone. You won't hear that anymore. Like you hear it, you know, in our generation, so I, you know, he's well-read, right? Mm -hmm. But I feel like I became that guy. I was well-read. I, I, I um, you know, I devoured a ton of books, you know, and you know when you're in 10 block or 9 block or, you know, in the max end, right? You're oh, in your cell all the time. Yeah. yeah, it's all you get to do is read books. And, and sometimes you get some real good ones. And um, I, I'm really, really, you know, I, I talk about that because I read every Boston Law book. You know, I could I could be the next um, Sean Wick, right? I could make <laughs> yeah. up to I could write the greatest thing. I should, <laughs> you know, kill these people. I could I could because I you know I read every one of those books, and so to me, it, it's just very. You're a very interesting guy. You know what I mean? I have the utmost respect for you, and it, you're just a legend. You know, in, oh, nice. in in and around here in the criminal world and otherwise. I mean, the whole rock and roll thing and and. Uh, and like I said, I don't want to take away from Al. Al, I, you know, um, looking into you, Googling you, I'm like, holy shit, this guy's the real deal. Like, just, just, just amazing, amazing stuff. You know, um, just so cool to me. And and you know, I really want to you know pump this movie up. And I, I'm not just because I'm here with you. Like, keep talking about it. I, I you know, I have a real interest in this. I can't wait to see it myself. And I, I'm sure it came out great. You know, and uh, we'll be seeing it soon enough. And uh, hopefully, I can have you on again. You know, that'll be really good. Now nah, this time I'm gonna have to get the, the the check with dinner unless Anthony or Jimmy wants to grab it. You know what I mean? But Al was gracious enough to buy me and Bundy lunch and, and everybody in um that restaurant, La Scala? La Scala. La Scala and Randolph? Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Good one. Delicious, delicious yeah. food. You know, yeah. that, that was great. And uh I'm so gracious that you you took the time to come down here and come on and uh and you're out in, uh, can I say where you are? You're living out in uh, Rhode Island? Yes, yeah. Smithfield, Rhode Island. Smithfield, Rhode Island. Zordic Press from Blackstone. All right. Maybe I'll head out there one day and take you out for lunch. I guess right? you go. I could talk to you for days. It's, mm -hmm. it's just really interesting stuff. So mm -hmm. uh, thanks again for coming on. Al, thanks for coming on. I'm going to try yeah. to get there on the 17th. Bundy, as always, was, was oh. very quiet this episode because <laughs> we were just rambling. And uh, that's yeah. it. Uh, was this podcast number 18? Yeah, 18. 18? 
Yeah. That's it, 18 in the books, Justin. Thank you. Like a bunch of narcotics. Yeah, what? Pull up in a new robbery. Living life, just got it. Come on. Chopping bricks like a rabbit.